you're listening to Lab Notes, your weekly guide to science and innovation. Hello, I am Mark Inetpanus. And I'm Leo Stevens. Welcome to The Brief, where we cover two concepts from science and business. Hi, Mark. What have you got for us today? G'day, Leo. Today I want to talk about casualization. This term is defined as the transformation of a workforce from one employed chiefly on permanent contracts to one engaged on a short-term or casual basis. Now, when people think of the people that work at a university, they might think of academics that are employed on some form of contract, either permanent or fixed term to carry out teaching and or research. However, the reality is very different. What that means is that a large proportion of teaching at a university is done by highly skilled people who don't really have any long-term job security. Let me illustrate that with some numbers as reported by the Grattan Institute in 2018. The combined workforce at all Australian universities during 2017 totaled roughly 123,000 people on either permanent or fixed-term contracts. Of those, only 33,000 are actually classified as academics doing teaching and research. Now, in contrast, Australian universities hired 95,000 people on a casual basis to provide teaching. And they are hired usually for a few hours here and there to do teaching And they do this sometimes for years on end without ever being on a contract or permanent position or an ability to gain promotion due to the nature of their employment conditions. And overall, they make up about 25% of the full-time equivalent workforce. And these are, very briefly, the key aspects of casualization. So... Are these casual staff filling an unmet need in the university or is it that there are people available who could be permanent full-time and the university has a preference for casual workers? Yes, so there's a, a certain amount of teaching that needs to be done based on the way universities teach and based on the number of students. That requires a number of person hours and universities in Australia and possibly around the world as well have made a choice that a lot of these roles are filled by casual people. So in some cases, these might be PhD students or master students that can earn a little bit of additional cash towards their subsistence and also that gives them an ability to obtain some expertise. And is this cheaper for the universities than having the position filled full-time? Absolutely. A casual person will not attract any pension funds, any sick leave. There's no long-term commitment to these employees from the university. You don't have to pay them holidays. And they, generally speaking, they are paid a flat rate, which obviously increases with CPI, with indexing. But in general, they're not on a contract. So it's not a very large uh, liability for a university. So we've talked previously about enterprise bargaining and I guess the role of the unions to negotiate terms for the staff. Are unions pushing back against this casualization or trying to enforce permanent positions? Well, unions are not in a position to enforce permanent positions, but it is one of the key things that unions are 
are fighting for. It's a, they're, they're really fighting against the casualization of the workforce. And I guess on the plus side of this, it, it is a way for those PhD students and kind of people who are right at the start of their career to gain some experience. That might be the way it was sold from the university perspective? Possibly, but it also involves generally a large number of people that have PhDs and that are highly skilled that come in to perform roles that would normally be done by people on permanent contracts. And when these people leave, as for example at the moment universities are under pressure due to COVID, and that means that the university can very quickly change their financial position. Yeah, good good for the company, perhaps not so good for the workers. Yeah, so what have you got today, Leo? Yep, let's move on. So today I want to talk about another, I guess, challenging topic. It's the down round. So as we've discussed previously, startups tend to acquire funding in rounds. Uh, these start from friends and family, move through seed rounds and to venture capital funding. In most cases, the expectation is that this business is growing and each round will have a higher share price than the last. This compensates early investors for taking on risk and ensures that everyone makes money on their investment, at least on paper. But what happens when a startup doesn't live up to its plans? Well, some of these startup companies will simply fold. The startup founders will move on, and old investors will leave with nothing. But other times, the company will fight on, pivoting their business model and working to attract new investors on this refined business. But attracting these new investors to a business with past baggage will often mean offering the company's shares for less than they have been sold for previously. This serves to dilute the early investors and underlines the fact that they have made losses on the investment they made. For many founders, there is this sunk cost fallacy in trying to preserve a troubled business by pricing new rounds optimistically to cover up the fact that they actually probably need a down round. It's most important that founders approach each round with a fresh set of eyes And both the current investors and the founders make a fair appraisal of the company's position ahead of that round. This might mean accepting that the business hasn't lived up to expectations and selling new shares for less than they were sold for previously. So if if a company, a startup, starts to fold and they want to keep the company going, can they then have the option to ask investors to relinquish their shares? That's something that is, that's being considered. I mean, there's not much to incentivize current shareholders to relinquish those shares. So the mechanism that founders have available to essentially transfer the ownership of the company is to issue a large number of new shares, and that's the process called mm-hmm. dilution. So an investor that previously had 10% of their company now only has five because the founders have issued another whole set of shares that have essentially doubled the number of shares the company has on issue. Because So can that lead to um, conflicts between early investors and subsequent investors? Absolutely. And, and down rounds are one of the times when those conflicts come to a head because from the perspective of the early investors, obviously their expectations of the business haven't been met and maybe that's something they will hold against the founders because they were you know, sold a, a bigger story than actually came to fruition. But it can also be a question of like, where do we price this new round? How much new money do we need? And that comes down to questions of, of business strategy. And perhaps there would be a way to you know, slowly trade your way out of this hole. But maybe the founders believe that they're much better off making a strong pivot, getting in a bunch of new money and, and starting from scratch, essentially, in a new area than trying to limp along with a subpar business model. 
And so, yeah, those, those questions of business strategy definitely can lead to contention between investors and founders, between founders with one another, um, and, and can lead to businesses falling apart. So down rounds are definitely an area where there's this kind of a high-risk time for, for a startup company. Is there somewhere where companies could go for arbitration if they really get stuck between founders and investors, if they want to go to a down road or pivot the business away? I mean... I guess we've spoken previously about things like shareholder agreements. If something that is being done contravenes the shareholder agreement, then there are legal remedies for that. If the founders are offering new shares that aren't approved by the current shareholders, that's something that can be done. But if there is that kind of level of contention where people are taking one another to court, the company's dead. You know, yeah. Startups only work when the investors and the founders are all pulling in the same direction. So it comes down to negotiation and if they can't agree on the direction of the company, it's probably the time that everybody just sucks it up and, and, and closes the company down. It's extremely hard to get a startup to succeed when you've got people with lots of different ideas all pulling in different directions. So startups really need, in terms of trouble, they need goodwill. They, they, they rely so much on goodwill, particularly between the investors and the founders. Well, I think that's a good point to... Uh draw us to a conclusion for today. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time. See you next time.